Today we're joined by Avera, who you may know from their open source libraries, the Adopt.me development team, the Rover Discord bot, scripting helpers, and lots more. As usual, my name is Bantek, and I'll be your host for this discussion. So let's go beyond the blocks. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Blocks, the podcast all about the Roblox platform and game development. On this episode, we're joined by Avera, so hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. So before jumping straight into it, in case there are any listeners who perhaps haven't heard of you or perhaps don't know the full extent of what you do, do you want to maybe explain who you are in a couple of sentences? Sure. So I've been a developer on Roblox uh, for a few years, started in 2008. Worked on various games and projects and things that a few people use. And uh, now I've ended up working for AdoptMe, which most people will know. Okay, awesome. So I think we should begin by jumping into your game development. Um, And we'll start with AdoptMe. So what is your role at AdoptMe? So I'm a systems engineer, which means that I sort of write the code that the people who write the code use. So I'm like one level removed from the updates. I have no idea what the weekly update's gonna be because I don't do that. I just write the code that the people who make the weekly update will use. If people haven't heard of Adopt Me, I don't think you can really be on Roblox without hearing of Adopt Me. <laughs> but I mean, I've got the games page up in front of me. It's it's right there, number one spot, 200,000 people playing right now. And the visits are just insane, 4.3 billion. Yeah, it's crazy. What's it like working on a game that's sort of firmly positioned right at the top and having your name on it? Um, it's, it's really fun, and it's, it's awesome knowing that so many people enjoy the thing you make, but it's also nerve-wracking because, like, I mean, it's, when we make a mistake, it's not just our game that goes down. We literally made a mistake once, and it crashed the entire website. <laughs> so th- these things happen when you have a game with this many people, and it is... Yeah, it's nerve-wracking sometimes. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. It's probably got quite a big team of people. I think I saw there was like 12 people who are currently on the team or something. How much like interaction do you have with those? Does it feel like you're in quite a big team, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Um, so with Blipmore, <laughs> we have 23 full-time employees oh, right. wow. at, at DreamCraft. And then we also have a few contractors, I believe. So... Um, it's, it's definitely different than my other experiences because working on a big team is, you know, there's lots of issues you don't think about when, you know, that aren't just development related. Like you have to really work on your communication, especially because we're a remote team. We live all around the world. So, you know, people are in different time zones and just being able to stay on the same page with 23 people who are all working on different things, but they all end up in the same game is a monumental task but we are always working on getting better at that too so yeah i mean that's huge it's it's hard enough to sort of get two people in different time zones to like communicate and uh, collaborate on something so to have that many people is is quite incredible to be honest yeah for sure so how did it come about you joining the team um was that from the start or has that been sort of more recent uh yeah it was more recently um i believe it was in september of last year that i joined 
um, actually on the recommendation of my friend Bill Thomas. And he, well, basically the, the owner of Adopt Me um, asked him, like, oh, do you have any friends who would be good? And then he mentions me. So then I, I actually applied from for the job after that normally by email just because... Um, I sort of didn't want to wait to get <laughs> to get my uh, foot in the door because I know that they are always looking for more people. And then I sort of just went through the normal process after that and interviewed and all that. And then I got the job. Awesome. Well, was it all right sort of integrating with the existing team? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, everyone's very friendly. Uh, the company has a culture that I feel like I can really easily be a part of. And I mean, when I joined the company, there were only, I want to say, 11 or 12 employees. So it's like more than doubled since then, which is crazy. We're always hiring new people. Like, it seems like we hire two people a week almost at this point. Like, <laughs> uh, I re we recently actually put out an Adopt Me website for our team. It's playadopt.me. And, you know, during the development process of that, I've had to update the you know, we're a team of 23 people. Like, I've had to update it, like, almost 10 times <laughs> while I've been working on it just because we keep hiring more people. So it's pretty funny. That's awesome, though. In terms of, like, working in a team, I think Roblox kind of historically, uh, although there's been collaboration, working with friends on things, it's never really been these massive teams and these massive companies until fairly recently. Um, so, I mean, do you prefer kind of working in a team with a company or do you prefer working on some of your other projects where you're just by yourself and it's just you and the code? Um, I think that there are good things and bad things about both. Like if you're working in a team, you might get stuck on something to no fault of your own. You know, maybe you need you need to use some feature that someone else is responsible for and they haven't finished it yet, but you also can't start it because they're too deep into it. So then you kind of just get stuck and then you have to sort of rotate and then work on something else and then come back to that. And there's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And that, that gear shifting can sort of be hard as a programmer sometimes. But um, the, the good thing about working in a team is that you have so many more resources. Like as a solo developer, you know, your games are going to be full of programmer art they're not going to have like sounds. You're going to have to use free sounds and you're going to have to do all the animations yourself and all that stuff takes so much time. So me, primarily as a programmer, I feel like I'm so much more able to make games when I have all of these super talented people behind me and around me that can, um, you know, fill in the gaps of, of my skills and everyone's sort of working on the best thing that they're good at. So I think that's definitely the biggest like boon of being on a team. And um, I think the other big game development thing that you're probably known for is the work that you did for the Roblox Aquaman event with, I think it was Team Rolantis. Right. Did you have more of a involved kind of role in the development of that game? Um, I feel like I had more of a leadership role in that game. Me and Bill Thomas, um, we sort of were the main programmers for the team, and we worked really closely together. And that game was a very interesting experience. It sort of taught me how to look for red flags early <laughs> in a team 
and know that like okay these things are going to cause problems later because the roblox aquaman event was not a fun experience for me personally because (laughs) it's just working with so many people that had never met each other before i mean that's that's how roblox does their events is they just you when you apply to become a developer for them they sort of just cherry pick the people who they think will be the best except in this case they actually brought on an entire studio like as a cohesive unit and then they cherry picked other people including me to be on top of that and i feel like that coupled with just not knowing how to pick the most skilled people sort of ended up in this situation where the team was very like some people had lots of experience and knew how to avoid making these mistakes and other people would just make the same mistakes over and over and over again and then the other people on the team would have to like fix those mistakes and it was just a back and forth that was causing so many headaches the whole time (laughs) right yeah i imagine that can cause like quite a lot of tension and stuff within the team yeah it it did and that coupled with uh because it's a sponsored game um Mm -hmm. I don't want to say too many bad things about the sponsor, but uh, let's just say that they they changed their mind a lot through the development process. And that's not great when you already have all of these assets for, you know, a certain type of whatever. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you can't use that. So then we just had to dump it. And we ended up having so much crunch at the end because so much of our initial time got sort of just deleted because we couldn't use it. So there was lots of crunch at the end, which is not, it's never a good thing when you have to crunch. Well, I can imagine the stress for that is sort of quite a different to the stress that you probably have with Adopt Me, because I suppose with the event, if it's, well, it can't really slip, can it? Because you've got a kind of a fixed deadline, you've got a sponsor. Yeah, the movie was going to come out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't delay <laughs> the whole movie just for the Roblox game. So yeah, I can imagine the tension of this whole new group, the very tight deadlines, the sponsor, all of that wrapped up Yeah, uh, can probably make it a bit less fun than, uh, you know, just developing some games with your friends. I think in the last four days up to the release date, I got about 10 hours of sleep in total. Because I was working on so many things that we were trying to get out. So, yeah. How long was the the deadline sort of between finding out that you were in this team and meeting these people to having the game out? So I believe that we all got brought in in the middle of about August or July. (laughs) And we the game was coming out in December. So about six months, except it was very lopsided. Like (laughs) Towards the beginning, everyone was super chill. And like in the middle, we were like, okay, we should probably start you know focusing and at the end it was like working 15 hour days (laughs) so yeah but to be fair i think that's how most roblox events have gone in the past so it's not an exception in that regard no i think i mean to be fair it's it's kind of the same with a lot of projects isn't it like even uni and school projects it's it's kind of generally how it goes yeah do you still have any kind of interaction with the team do you do anything on the game or is that sort of all kind of frozen in time back when it was released yeah, it's it's all frozen in time. As a team, we thought that maybe we would go back and update it. But, um, you know, I, I feel like everyone just sort of wants to be rid of that project. <laughs> and I I still talk to Bill Thomas. He's actually a really close friend of mine. Um, and he was the leader of the team. I don't believe I really talked to mostly anyone else. Like, um, me and uh, I've talked to Beism a couple times mm-hmm. uh, following that project because um, Bill Thomas and I and 
and Bism and a few other people were doing like this this game studio thing that didn't really turn into anything, and I ended up working for Adopt Me instead. But so that uh, we, I did talk to them a few times. And then, is there anything else sort of in the future regarding game development that we might expect from you? Is Adopt Me kind of take up most of your time in that sense? Yeah. Um. So, like, I work full time on Adopt Me, so that's forty hours a week, and that's just a lot of time on one game. Usually, when I'm not working, I either I'm just completely sick of programming in general, or I just want to work on something that I feel inspired to work on. And usually that's not games, because games are, like, monumental effort, and I don't have the ability to, like, create environments, and I don't want to do animations, and that's all required for games. So I'm probably going to end up sticking to the more standalone projects that I have done in the past. Okay, so let's move on and have a chat about some of them standalone projects then. So one of them that I think a lot of people will know you for, I think it's pretty much where I found you as well, um, is with the Roverbot for Discord. Right. Now, obviously this is still kind of to do with Roblox, but essentially your Roverbot kind of bridges the gap, I guess, between Roblox and Discord in that it can verify accounts and um, pretty much just make sure that the person you're talking to on Discord is the person that you think they are on Roblox. But I know that there's another sort of few services that do something similar. So where did the kind of inspiration behind Rover come from? I think I created Rover in about uh, 2017. And I, I actually made that, I was actually a moderator on the Roblox Discord server, the unofficial Roblox Discord server. And I believe we had this policy where you should set your nickname as your Roblox name, but some people, you know, they didn't do it or they lied about who they were. So I had this idea to make a bot just for that server that would um, just only set the nickname to their Roblox name. And that's sort of where that whole idea came about. And then that was actually not even Rover. <laughs> that was a completely different bot. Uh, but the website portion of Rover, which some people might know, is actually the same as it was back then. But Eventually, I redid the bot and I made it um, actually work in more than one server. Because when you write Discord bots, you can be lazy and make it only work in one server, or you can actually do it the proper way and have it work in more than one. So that's what I did the second time with Rover. And that sort of, I was just like, okay, yeah, anyone can use this. I didn't really advertise it. You know, I was just like, here you go. <laughs> and uh, people just started using it. And as far as I know, Rover was sort of the first bot that did this on Discord. Um, I don't know if that's true, like 100%, because I haven't really looked into the competitors that do sort of the same thing. But at least to my knowledge, I think Rover was the first one. Okay, fair enough. And um, did you expect it to kind of grow as big as it did when you opened it up to the public? Because, oh, no. I mean, now it's huge. Um, I think you've got, was it over one and a half million verified users or something crazy like that? Yeah, I think it's almost at two and a half million now. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like, on the website, I had all this stuff saying, oh, you know, we have hundreds of verified users. And then a few months later, I had to update it. We have thousands of verified users. And we have tens <laughs> of thousands of verified users. And then it was like, all right, well, I'm just going to say millions now because <laughs> that's how many we have. It's just, it's crazy that it took off. And I think the reason it took off is mostly just because uh, it was 
sort of, you know, it's open source, which makes it seem a bit more trustworthy to people. And it's was used in the Roblox Discord server originally, which is sort of, you know, lots of people in there, and then they see it working. So they just want to use it too. And those two things sort of gave it its head start. And ever since then, it's just gotten more popular just by word of mouth, mostly just people seeing, or maybe not even word of mouth, but just seeing other people use it, I would say. Are you kind of glad that it's as big as it is, or are you kind of, does it does it take up a bit more of your time than you'd like it to because it's so big? Um, yeah, I, it was it was starting to become a problem um, sometime in the last past few months because having lots of scaling issues with how many servers it's in because it's it's almost in a hundred thousand. I think it's only it's only like three thousand servers away from being in a hundred thousand servers. And when you have anything that has that many connections, it's very difficult to to deal with. Like, it, I think it uses almost more than 32 gigs of RAM right now. And that's just storing all the stuff it needs to. It's That's not even like, um, that's not even like storing crazy amounts of data. It's all just like, you know, users, roles, bindings, all that stuff Rover does. But... Luckily, I have a friend who's been helping me uh, manage Rover recently, and his name is Shane. Um, and he's he's active in like the Roblox Dev Forum server as well. But he actually hosts the free Rover bot for me now, and that's been a huge help because that means I don't have to like freak out whenever the bot goes down. Like he just manages all that for me, and it's it's very nice of him. I'm also happy about Rover just because. I've I, a few months ago I released Rover Plus, which is just an upgraded version of Rover that has it's on its own server, so it stays up more and it can do more stuff, basically. And that has actually been really successful for me. I think we have about uh, 160 subscribers for that service, and that's six bucks a month. So that is, and it's just through my Patreon, but that has been a nice extra boost and also offsets the server costs and development time that I put into Rover at the start. Okay, and when did you kind of add some of the extra features? So obviously the the nickname part is kind of still there at the core of Rover. That's very, very useful. Um, But obviously people now also use it to um, set roles for different people based on groups that run Roblox. Mm -hmm. You can put like little tags in their names, that sort of thing. And you can also do it by a Builders Club membership when did you add sort of all those features and do you still add new features or is it kind of stagnated at this point? I think I just sort of added them slowly over time. A lot of people requested things and then I I added them like, I think I added the group bindings pretty early on because that's just sort of an obvious progression. But I think one of the biggest features people requested was like, uh, you know how in like war roleplay groups, like they'll have different ranks, you know, like private sergeant, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like having that in their nicknames. So the, one of the biggest features that people requested is having the little private and sergeant like tag in the nickname. And that, that's something I added just directly from user feedback. But, um, as far as new features, it's mostly stagnated now because like I mentioned, it's having scaling issues. So I've been working on sort of rewriting it, um, in the, in my free time. And I don't have a ton of free time, so it's going really slowly. But eventually that'll be out. And then I'll sort of 
try to keep adding new features from there. So yeah, what's sort of been the toughest part then about like developing and maintaining that bot and the service? Is it just the scaling issues, or were there other sort of tough challenges you had to overcome? I think that the the scaling issues are a big part. Um, other Discord bots that do the same thing have also been sort of like hostile to me for no reason. <laughs> like uh, they are sometimes for they're just very competitive for some reason. And some of the other bot people have like because Rover's open source, so they've like gone on on its GitHub profile and like sort of put a bunch of spam issues and like all this stuff and like issuing fake pull requests, that kind of stuff. And that's definitely a challenge that you don't think about (laughs) when you just make a project, like people getting angry just because you made it. But yeah, in addition to the scaling, I think one of the biggest problems that I've come into is just trying to help people with the bot. Like we have a server that has like 6,000, 7,000 people in it. And they're all just people who joined because they had a question about Rover. And sometimes people can be very you know, they're impatient and entitled. And it's like, <laughs> and at the most of that's just because they're children, but it can really get to you after a while. And that's why I'm very thankful to have some volunteers on that server that have sort of taken over helping people because um, I don't really want to have to subject myself to that every day. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask what are your sort of your Discord pings like, are your notifications sort of through the roof or have you managed to switch those off? Yeah, it's sometimes I wake up and I have 80, 80 notifications, <laughs> but I've I've done a lot of work to try to lower that. Like I turn off at everyone pings and pretty much every server I join. And specifically in my own server, I make it a rule that uh, you, you don't ping me. And if people ping me, it deletes their message automatically. So that way people will actually get help from the people who are trying to help them. Like, I feel like when people join servers, they're always just like, I'm going to ping the highest ranked person here and ask them a question. <laughs> We've got a, a server for one of the games that I work on, uh, and it's got 10,000 members now. Um, and sometimes you just have to hide your status, just make you look offline, because if you're at the top of that list, you can expect a ping coming through anytime. Yeah, I used to be an admin for Jailbreak. I guess technically I still am in the Discord server, but I, I asked them to sort of like hide my role, like take away my admin role and give me a different one that still had the same privileges because I didn't want to be at the top anymore. But, you know, what's actually interesting is I am at the top of the Adopt Me server, which has tons of people in it too, like tens of thousands, maybe 100,000. And I barely get any pings from from that server. So I'm, I think the main thing is just that the Adopt Me community is just more respectful than the Jailbreak community. All right, let's not stop beef on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll move on to ask you about the work you've done to kind of help other developers. So you kind of spoke a little bit about Rover being open source. Right. But you've also got lots of open source libraries, again, Roblox related things. Um, so, I mean, I'll just list a few. I think there was Rock, Sorora, Commander, like there's just loads that people can see on your website. Shall we pick out a few to discuss? Do you have a particular tool or library that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, I think that Commander has been really successful just because it sort of it fills the niche of admin commands that are also for like developers and not just for 
people who want to be able to kill people in their game. <laughs> like, Commander is made specifically so that you can add your own commands to it, and you can do that in a way that takes the least amount of effort. Um, you know, when you write code, most of the time, like, I would say a good chunk of your time is spent just making sure that the data you get is actually the right stuff that you want. <laughs> you know, like, okay, this person types like person's username. Is this person actually in the game? And then I need to figure out, you know, how to get the player version and not just the string of their name. So Commander just takes all that away. You just literally say, okay, this command is called kill. And the first argument it takes is a player. And then Commander will just figure all that out. It'll automatically tell the user, hey, that's not a player if you don't send it a player. And your code will never even get run. So, like, it just saves you so much time. And I think that's sort of why it's been successful. Yeah, I mean, that sounds super, super useful. Because I suppose if you're using it just as uh, kind of for admin commands or maybe for some debugging kind of just on top of your main game logic you don't want to be spending hours and hours messing about with that making your own system that sort of thing so i think especially for beginner developers but even for the more experienced ones just being able to quickly create those commands will be really useful Mm -hmm. yeah for sure as well as commander what kind of tools are particularly useful for roblox developers so i think that by far the most useful tool is called roho it's made by lpg LPG hat guy. Um, and he's, he's actually a Roblox engineer, but, um, Roho is sort of a side project. And what it does is it you, lets you write all of your code in a normal code editor that professionals use every day. And you just have basically these Lua files on your computer. And when you run Roho, it takes all the Lua files and creates them as scripts in your game. And it's so useful because it unlocks it unlocks all the tools that professionals use every day. So if you just use Roblox Studio, you have to wait for Roblox to add what you want. But if you use Roho, then you can use whatever you want. And I've used Roho for a very long time, and I do not want to imagine having to make games without it. Because, I mean, we used it at Adopt Me. We used it for the Aquaman game. I use it for all of my open source projects because it's just so useful. It lets you put your stuff on GitHub or any other version control software. It lets you, you know, collaborate much easier. It's just, it's honestly just the biggest change in development that I've ever seen since, uh, (laughs) I mean, since I joined Roblox. Like it's, I actually made a tool called RVX Sync, which sort of did what Roho does, except in a much worse way. <laughs> and I made that years and years ago because I've always wanted this. But then when Lucian came around and made this tool that is, you know, very well supported, has all these features and all this, um, I was just I was just like, I completely archived RBX Sync and I was like, no, just go use this. It's so much better. <laughs> the world would be better if we all just settle on one standard anyway. So yeah. That Roho for sure, hundred percent. No, no competition. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, I I'll be honest. I've been mispronouncing it all this time as Rojo, which I'm sure <laughs> lots of people do. But yeah, um, some people <laughs> get very competitive and argumentative about that. But it is supposed to be the Spanish color, <laughs> so it's pronounced <laughs> Roho, not Rojo. <laughs> That's very, very useful. And I suppose people could also just extend it to whatever editor they like. I mean, you've made a VS Code extension that you can use with it. 
Right. But people can kind of use any editor, add things onto it, make their own plugins for that editor. Like, you know, the, the sort of possibilities are endless, really, aren't they? Yeah. And there's so many cool extensions in editors these days. Like that some some extensions even use machine learning to sort of autocomplete what you're trying to type. So you can just, you know, you, if you do like player colon whatever, it'll just analyze your code and think, okay, you usually call, you know, player kick or whatever i guess you really wouldn't do that that often but you know like game.players dot and then what it'll say oh player joined because it's like it it sort of just picks up on that automatically and there's just tons of stuff like that usually the biggest complaint people have moving to roho is the um the autocomplete doesn't update directly based on what's in your game but my argument to that is to just don't write your code that way because if you're writing your code that way anyway it's really fragile and it's not going to you know last through multiple games because when you write code you always want to think about i'm going to reuse this in the future i'm going to reuse this in the future not i'm going to write this code for this one specific thing and it's only ever going to be for this one specific thing and if i ever want anything else i'm going to have to write all new code because if you do that you just waste so much time so that's uh (laughs) that's just sort of my counter argument for that that sort of take on Roho. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I personally have probably started to make an open source thing once. I think it was an admin command based thing. Uh, never really followed it through to completion. So, like, what for you, um, as someone who makes some of these libraries, um, what's your motivation behind doing them, completing them, keeping them updated? Because I assume you don't really get much back in terms of monetary reward or anything like that. So what keeps you going? I think that, honestly, the biggest thing that keeps me working on things is just using them myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, obviously, if I'm using it, then I need it to be updated. And I think that you actually get a lot of value from open sourcing at least part of your your code in your game or, you know, anything you're making. Because you're helping the world, you're helping new developers who might not otherwise even know how to make the thing that you made. Um, and you're also helping yourself because when people use what you use, they can spot bugs that you haven't spotted and they can actually contribute to the project. Like most, most of my open source projects have, have been, you know, contributed to by at least one other person. And some of the bigger ones like commander have been contributed to by like at least six people. And I mean, that's not a lot, (laughs) but you have to think Roblox is a very narrow market. Like if you look at open source software just in the real world, in the open world, the wild west of open source software, there's there's projects that have thousands, hundreds of thousands of contributors like like the Linux kernel on GitHub. I think that's actually the repository with the most ever changes to it, can the most ever commits. And, you know, there's you can you can go to that right now today and you can go to wherever they, they make the Linux kernel and then you can just say, oh, I think it'd be better if we did this. And if they agree with you, they'll merge it in and then, hey, you get your name listed. So I think that it's it's something that we can all work on together and it makes the world a better place and it benefits you as well. So it sort of just seems like the obvious choice. Okay. And I mean, in addition to these libraries, you also um, just generally help out developers around the place. Your top contributor on Dev Forum, which sort of shows that you've posted some things that other people have found helpful and you obviously started scripting helpers and had that whole thing especially when the 
traditional forums closed and things like that, a lot of people fled to things like scripting helpers to get help. So yeah. I suppose similar sort of question in terms of the motivations behind creating scripting helpers. Um, was it intended to replace the forum? Was it just like sort of a bridge between that and the wiki? What was uh, scripting helpers all about? So I think uh, I created scripting helpers in 2013. So that was well before the forums closed. Um, mm -hmm. The main motivation behind creating it was actually Roblox had attempted to make a Roblox stack exchange, which if you don't know what stack exchange is, it's you've probably heard of Stack Overflow if you're a developer. And Stack Exchange is a company that sort of has did these QA sites for all sorts of things like server administration, and even um, things that aren't computer related at all, like like English questions and all that. They just have a million QA sites, but you, they have a process where you can create your own or at least uh, nominate your own to be voted on. And the Roblox Stack Exchange, unfortunately, did not meet the uh, requirements to become a full-fledged site. And they actually went through that twice and it never made it through like the second stage or whatever. I don't know exactly how they have it set up. It's, it's crazy complicated, but um, then I was like, okay, well, why don't I just make my own? Because obviously there is the, you know, the people who voted on it which are all Roblox developers. They want it and it might not be big enough to appeal to Stack Exchange, but maybe um, you know, I can just make it and people can use it for that. <laughs> and Scripting Helpers was actually the second like big website that I made. So I sort of had an idea of what I was doing. Like looking back on it, I'm thinking like, oh, there's so many things I would have done differently. Like it's written in PHP, which is like disgusting. <laughs> like I feel like people, new web developers always like pointed towards PHP, like, oh, this is what you'd use to make websites. But like, no, <laughs> don't let people tell you that because PHP is like one of the worst languages like in existence. Like it encourages so many mistakes. I could go on about this for hours. I'm just not going to. <laughs> but um, Scripting Helper is, I think, I basically just made it because asking for help on the forum sucks because, you know, the first guy who replies to your post says something really dumb and then it's going to be right there at the top forever. And that's not great for question and answer is because you know someone comes to the future they find that thread i'm sure everyone's experienced this when like you google a question it's really obscure only person ever asked it's on some weird message board and then like the first like 50 replies are all just garbage <laughs> like this is why you need a website that actually lets you vote and then put the best answers on top because for you know future generations that want to ask the same question they google it they find the question, the answer's right there on the first answer, and then they're just done. It saves so much time, like, collectively for the human race. <laughs> I'm getting very, very big here. Uh, um, but yes, Q&A sites are, wow, better for Q&A. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. And I mean, 2013 to now, that's, that's seven years. Yeah. Has the, the growth kind of been fairly linear what happened you know when the traditional forums closed then the dev forums became a bit more open um like what how has that affected the usage of scripting helpers is it still somewhere people can go to today yeah i think that it's been mostly linear except when the forums closed it did get a big boost for a while and now i think lots of people go to the dev the dev forum as well but um like on scripting helpers there's already there's 95,000 questions that have been asked. So it's a great resource of like knowledge just 
for anyone who's starting out because there's like any question that a beginner would ask has already been asked and it has an answer on scripting helpers. And I'm not going to say that the, the search feature on scripting helpers is good because it's terrible. But if you just Google a question, you know, any Roblox related question that's not like, oh, how do I code a game? Because that's probably like has a million results, but like something that's specific about Roblox. Scripting helpers is either going to be the first or second result and it's going to have an answer for you. So I think that is definitely very important. And even just as logged out users, but um, we have 32,000 members um, right now and about 1,000 of those are active, which means they've logged in in the last two weeks. So it's not a huge community, but it's definitely a community. <laughs> and if you have a question, you can uh, you can ask it on there if you want to. Okay, perfect. The last sort of question I want to ask you about helping other developers is that you're listed as like the Roblox QA team tooling manager. Mm -hmm. um, and I sort of just wanted to ask about that. Like, what does the tooling manager do? So mostly um, I have worked on in the past, like automation for when people who are testing uh, submit a bug or all of that, like it sort of just all cycles through all the systems that need to update and then it dumps it out wherever it needs to go. That's sort of a vague answer, but, um, and then also we, I've written code and helped fix code that sort of stops people from cheating while they're testing because like, um, one of the big important things about testing is obviously that you don't leak what you've tested. And even though people have signed NDAs, you know, kids are stupid and they'll just leak it anyway. So we have like this overlay that sometimes in certain games will go on that has like your username printed a hundred times. And basically if somebody tries to get rid of that, we have our ways that will alert us and kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Not kill them, but it'll, we'll, we'll talk to them. And most of the time it's a false alarm to be honest, but we do have systems in place that prevent people from leaking stuff. Um, I don't know if anyone actually uses that anymore because Roblox doesn't really do events, but, um, back in the day, that was something, one of the main things that I worked on. I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing to talk about it now because the only things that, that server tests now are public games and we don't usually use that in public games. Yeah. Cause the QA team used to sort of do all of the big Roblox events. So I suppose those had a bit more kind of uh, weight behind them. You didn't want stuff to be leaked. You've got external sponsors perhaps for those, that sort of thing. So I guess it was definitely more of a concern for those. Yeah, but Roblox has since announced that they're not going to do first-party events anymore. So, rip. <laughs> Shed a tear. <laughs> Rest in peace, Roblox events. I wanted to ask you about your Roblox toy that you have, because not many people have a Roblox toy of their avatar, but Avera has sort of become big enough, I suppose, that Roblox feel that you can have a toy. So I just kind of wondered, what does it feel like to see your character sort of immortalized in plastic? You can literally go to a shop and buy that character. <laughs> it's really crazy. They They actually made that toy of me after the Aquaman event. So I guess somebody saw I was a developer and was like, oh, let's make a toy. A lot of the other team members don't have a toy. Like, I don't think Bill Thomas has a toy and he really deserves one. But um, it's just, it's crazy for me. Like, I was recently at the Roblox headquarters with the Adopt Me team last month. 
and I just walked into the to the reception area, and my character is just sitting in the display case <laughs> in the Roblox lobby, and it's just it's just crazy to think that uh, I've had this much of an impact that my character is literally just at Roblox headquarters all the time. I mean, my my legs were on backwards in the display case, so that's <laughs> that is one uh, thing. But overall. <laughs> It's uh, it's very fun. I, I assume they're not like that in real life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, does does that feel kind of a, a little bit trapping? I suppose in the fact that your avatar's recognisable enough for there to be a toy, um, and obviously people see the toy associated with you and your avatar. But if, for example, you wanted to change your clothing, you didn't want that sort of purple theme anymore. You wanted a special hat or something like that. Um, do you feel like you can't change it because then people won't recognize you? Yeah, I feel like I feel like that. I feel like it's important to keep my appearance. And, you know, truth be told, I didn't even really attempt to make a special outfit before <laughs> before I knew that they were going to take my toy. And it's like it takes like six months and they're like, OK, anytime within the six months, we're just going to take what your avatar looks right at that second. So, like, during that period, yeah, I was like, I am not changing my character to wear anything stupid because I know the second I do that, they're going to be like, oh, okay, this is the toy. <laughs> yeah, end up with a chicken on your head or something. Yeah, but now I feel like I feel like some people who have toys feel very free to just change your avatar all the time. I think Beism has a toy and she changes her avatar, like, constantly. Uh, this is one person I think of the top of my head because I, I mentioned this to someone and they're like oh just look at deism she changes her <laughs> avatar constantly but there are some people who even have two toys because they change their character and then roblox is like all right new toy so maybe i should do that <laughs> yeah so <laughs> a sneaky way to get more toys well thank you for coming to chat to us about roblox toys amongst other things mm-hmm. it's been a good chat thanks for being a guest on the podcast oh yeah no problem thanks for having me If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow the podcast to make sure you don't miss any of our future instalments. And why not leave us a voice message? I'll listen to it in a future episode and answer any questions. Use the Anchor app or find instructions to submit a clip manually on the Bantech Systems website. Thank you to our guest, Avera, for joining me today. You can find her on Roblox for links to her social profiles and you can head over to erinit.io to have a look at her projects. Be sure to fill out the guest application if you'd like to feature on a future episode. You can find it at bantech.systems forward slash btb guest. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Alvin Blocks for hosting the last two episodes. If you haven't heard episodes 10 and 11 yet, then go give them a listen, featuring Boat Bomber and Steady On. Beyond the Blocks is brought to you by Bantech Systems, a development studio creating interactive games, systems, and solutions on Roblox. Find Bantech's profile on Roblox and click through to the Bantech Systems group for more information. And don't forget you can listen to any episode of Beyond the Blocks on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other popular listening platforms. You'll also find it on the Bantech Systems YouTube channel. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Beyond the Blocks.